Welcome to the Get Wired Podcast, presented by CED Vero Beach. Join us as we make new connections, share our outlooks on business as well as life, and provide a new look at the wholesale electrical supply industry from the inside out. This is the Get Wired Podcast. Here's your host, Mike Burkhart. Welcome back to the Get Wire Podcast. It's been uh, over a year. The last episode we did was about uh, preparing for the future while managing the present. I did that in the hotel room at UCF at the career fair last year, so I know kind of time-wise like where it was in, in time and space. And then a lot happened since then. Uh, we've got on the program today Nick Scala. Welcome. welcome. Or- <laughs> you are welcome. Uh so it's great thank, to be here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Nick just received some exciting news. He's going to be taking over the Palm Bay uh, Profit Center, effective the 18th. 18th? Okay. Yeah. So that's a week from today. Um, and basically, that's one of the reasons, it's a total excuse on my part for not doing the podcast is I've been focused on other activities outside of it and uh, opening a whole other profit center something I've never done before, and it was the, one of the coolest experiences in my nine-year career. So, But it also took a lot of time and effort. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy getting that place set up, and you know, you led the way, and I told you from day one that I wanted to be a part of it, and anything and everything that I could do to um, get a part of that experience that I wanted to be a part of it, and you did a great job you know, letting me be involved with anything that I could be, and here we are today. I think just to get this out of the way, my biggest regret of the entire process was not bringing you on board sooner. And I, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I, I honestly thought we would just open the doors to Palm Bay and like this this crowd of electrical contractors would just come barging through the doors every single day. Uh, and it'd be Vero 2.0, <laughs> like day three. Yeah, it was definitely um, a humbling experience, right? Humbling, yes, very, very much so. That's you know, a perfect word for it. The um, "if you build it, they will come" was the saying on our screensaver, <laughs> and I we built that, it. Yeah, and uh, they didn't exactly come, you know, without some hard work. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, that's got to be one of the biggest, one of the things I'll always take away from that is like you can have the nicest, beautiful profit center ever, and you can advertise it, and then. You know, opening day, we had people showing up at 6.45 in the morning, waiting for the doors to open. Like, literally, somebody was there at 8, 6.45. Uh, and I just thought, man, we're just going to just knock this out of the park. Yeah. And it was crickets for, like, maybe four to six weeks after that. Um, and we opened right before the holidays. And so, you know, getting the ball rolling was, was much more of a grind than I expected. Um, but talk about your experience with that. And, and actually, before we get there, let's talk about a brief history of, of Nick Scala and CED. Like, okay. How did you find the program? Well, um, I found the program. with My buddy actually was a trainee about a year in, and he went to UCF, was in a fraternity with me. And, you know, he wrote on our page that he was coming back to recruit. So I checked out the company online, did some research, and I was like, all right, I like this. You know, the way the co- the, the company is organized in terms of like you're very decentralized you get to run your own business and that was very attractive to me so um you know went to the career fair got my first interview with ann and you know things kind of moved pretty quickly you know uh, mike shapiro interviewed me and you know next thing i know i had a, a job offer three months before i even graduated school so accepted that and then i started in uh, mercedes in miami how many people did you know that were graduating had a job lined up at all, much less three months ahead of time. 
Not many, to be honest. It's not and, many. You know, I knew a couple guys that were like, you know, I'm just going to graduate and then I'm going to go on the job hunt. Right. And, you know, that turned into one month turned into two, which turned into four. And then next thing you know, they're a full year graduated with no job. Where, Or they had like bartending gigs or something like that where they yeah. could sustain themselves and they had been. And they're still living that like college lifestyle yep. where it's ramen noodles and six packs of Bud Light, and you know, and definitely um, that's pretty easy to sustain. And it's also a trap; like you can get stuck there and be complacent and get comfortable, and um, and have all this free time not going to class anymore, not really know what to do with it, and then you get kind of almost like a little tainted, like from a job perspective, because an employer's going to look at that and be like, "Well, what did you do after you graduated?" You just did exactly what you were doing, but you weren't going to class anymore. Um, And so from your perspective, was it as advertised? Was CED as what we promised it would be coming into it? 100%. You know, everything that they told me came true, Um, whether it was from, you know, the time period might have been a little drawn out. I think they should advertise it as a three-year program. But I think that a lot of has that has a lot to do with the circumstances within where you're at. But um, when did you start exactly? August fifteenth in twenty sixteen. About two and a half years. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. Okay, that is a long time. Um, so you graduated, obviously. I graduated like two weeks before that. Okay. The first week of August, I think. Summer of two thousand sixteen. Yep. Wow. So they should advertise that as a three-year program. I mean, it's two and a half to three yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, but other than that, everything came true. You know, they told you you're going to go on a countless manufacturer trainings, went there. They told you you'd visit a bunch of different PCs and helping them out with inventory and other things like that. I did that. Um, you know, all the different stages of the of the company they had you go through, you know, I did all that. And they said if you work hard and you complete all those, you'll have a profit center at the end of the training. And here I am today, and I have my profit center. But it's it's more than that, right? Like you can go through and you can check all the boxes and you can you can go through the motions and kind of do that. But there's like this underlying X factor that we talk about that um, people kind of either have it or they don't, and and that's kind of what differentiates the people that make it across the finish line and get a profit center versus uh, people that aren't. There's nothing wrong with them, anything like that. It's just maybe they're not fit for the role that we're currently hiring for as profit center manager. There's definitely an it factor to the people that make it through the the training. Um, You know, maybe now that I'm kind of within the inner circle, I might kind of get a better understanding of what it actually is. But um, it's definitely a self-driven, self-motivating person that is very sales-oriented, you know, that can really prove themselves in the industry in terms of making sales that that make it through the process. And when you talk about sales, uh, for somebody that's just listening, maybe they're like a first-year trainee, maybe they are uh, considering CED as one of the possibilities out there, and they happen to be listening to the Get Wired podcast. <laughs> uh, when you say sales, what would you, how would you describe sales in our industry? It's a very relationship-driven industry, but obviously, in order to use that relationship to your benefit, you need to build it. And, you know, these guys, one thing I learned in Palm Bay is that they're not willing to just open their doors and have these conversations with you and go to lunch with you. And, you know, they're not willing to just build this relationship off of what you're telling them about CED and how great it is. Yeah. You know, so I think you really need to find something that differentiates CED as a whole compared to your competition. And instead of going in there with like, hey, I'm Nick Scala with CED and 
we're the best electrical distributor in town. You should buy from us. It, you need to find that reason that makes you stand out compared to every other dis- distributor, whether that's one-hour deliveries within a 15-mile radius, job storage solutions um, for no cost at all. You know, Whatever it is, you need to be able to go in there and have a conversation with them and show them that you understand the market and you understand what will help them move their business. You know, And that's another one of those it factors. Like you can't really find that. Sometimes you can't even like game plan that ahead of time. You got to walk in there and just be receptive to what they're giving you. Like play what the defense is giving you kind of thing in terms of how you want to play your offense. And I mean, that's, that's one of the most interesting parts of this whole job is like you can sit there and figure out like a game plan of what you think is going to happen, but you know, nobody, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And you walk in there and the customer says, I don't care about anything but price. Okay, now what do you do? Do you just say, well, I've got all, I've also got the lowest price. Or do you come at them with some other stuff that maybe is, is a little more value add or, you know, get beyond that initial, everyone, it's so easy to say that price is the, is the common denominator. Yeah, you know, it's definitely a lot of conversations. Um, one thing I'm finding now is that, you know, price, it's very competitive in the Palm Bay market. But at the end of the day, we got to make money and it's about an average of percent in the CED world that you need to make in order just to break even. Um, you know, so when you, when you take an order below that, you know, you know that you're not paying the bills with that. So you got to find a way to offset these price driven customers with the value add that you have. It is. about Yeah. And that's just to break even. That's literally exactly. just to, to stay open. And, you know, customers understand that they have to make money as well. And um, at the end of the day, we should be partners in their business, not necessarily just the supplier of choice. Uh, but, man, it is tough. And we've heard price is a factor at every single place we've been to. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about the number of sales calls it would take to get into a place. Have you found that to be pretty true, like the 7 to 12 average? Yeah. So, you know, the the smaller guys, you know, the guys with the 10-man shops have been on the lower end of that, about seven, 5 to 7 um, to really get in there with them. But, you know, the bigger ones have definitely been a true testament of keep showing up. Um, you know, 12 sales calls is – I don't think I've gotten to 12 with any one customer yet. got to be getting uh, close, though. Definitely close with yeah. a few of the bigger guys. And, you know, some are kind of short visits where they don't really have much time for you. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm definitely finding that if you stay in there – fresh in their mind, you know, that you do get some opportunity and – um It'll pay off. Well, in our competition up there, there's a lot of it, and it's also very old competition. Like they've been around a long time, so I think that's pretty common in amongst most places that are in Florida or certainly other places in the country where you've got these established local supply houses, and then you know in comes this new CED or even a new manager at an existing location, and all of a sudden that new energy, that new vibe, that that push, and like that excitement and that hunger. That's, that can also tip the scales as well, and that's something that I think is often overlooked. Like it happened in Vero too, where we would just come in, and I was just excited to be here and, and just just somebody different and attacking them from a different angle. I mean, I think there's probably two or three, two I can think of right off the top of my head, customers that I've, I've built relationships through outside of work in the gym. Like yeah. sometimes the gym was the parking lot at CED. We had workout Wednesdays, and, and I'd go to CrossFit at somebody's in somebody's garage, and Gary Schlitt happened to be there or Todd Toussaint, you know, would come to the CED to work out in the parking lot. Um, like you just never quite know exactly how you have to hit these customers to get on board and to hit them from a different angle that they're just really not expecting. 
to build that relationship. And uh, I don't know. That's always been the most exciting part. Like I had a whole forecast thing that year about how we're going <laughs> to – the sales calls are going to be all fitness-related, and, and we're going to take this whole county by storm through fitness. But obviously the customers have to be fitness-oriented in order yeah. to do that. Um, I think a lot of it's just dumb timing. Sometimes you just got to be lucky, right? You know, you're at the right place at the right time. and I'd rather I, be lucky than good. <laughs> I agree. And, you know, I kind of think that is kind of how it was with Dale, with Brickner and the whole University Commons job. I feel like we yeah. were just kind of there at the right time. Yeah. And, you know, we did put in the work to, you know, VE his package and get him the right number and stuff like that. But maybe if we shown up a week later or a week earlier, even that, we might not have had the right opportunity to take that order. And, you know, that's really helped us in this beginning of 2019 to kind of. And that was an account that we a couple of times showed up right behind the City Electric salesperson yep. and, and still got orders out of Dale yeah. or, or le- things that led to orders. And, uh, you know, I felt like a lot of the times I was just kind of along for the ride with you and Randy. Like, and that was kind of cool. It was like I didn't have to set all these things up and I could just get in a car and just kind of show up and uh, just play off what's already been built between mm-hmm. you guys and just add a little touch of this or that or my own personal viewpoint on it and uh whereas here there's in Vera there's just so much pressure to like get the call lined up have it all figured out and then show up and and perform but it, it is a big learning curve and I think every every single place you're going to go is going to be completely different I'm sure Mercedes is is a very different feel in terms of outside sales oh yeah and Vero definitely because uh, that's kind of a startup I mean how long have they been a CD I think maybe now like five years or going on their fifth year maybe. Yeah, probably. I think when I got there, they were in the, going into their third year, you know. So that, that place was much different when I first got there to when I left to even now when I went back just last Friday. And Travis has been on the show. He sat in that seat right there. and uh, I was actually here for that first yeah. episode. You know, that was kind of funny. Travis was like, oh, I'm coming and I'm bringing Nick. And I was like, oh, okay. I think that's before I even knew that you were going to be up here, or maybe we just. No, found I think out. we just found out at that point, and that, that's what he, he was like. Hey, I'm going up there. Do you want to come up and meet Mike and check out the warehouse and stuff like that? Yeah. So I was impressed. I don't think you guys even left till like eight thirty or nine o'clock to drive back to Miami. And I was yeah, like, oh, was, those guys uh, put in the work. Definitely, <laughs> it was a long. I remember that long day. That was a long time ago. It seems like, and it this, does. It really does. This last year, at this point last year, CED Palm Bay didn't even exist in terms of like an idea. Um, and now it's, it's come full circle. It's, it's been built. It's been starting to roll. We broke a hundred grand in sales two months in a row now. Um, it's not my profit center anymore. <laughs> like it's just come full circle, you know? And yeah. I, and, uh, it's an amazing, it's been an amazing experience. It's, it's such a cool opportunity to have it and, and to, to run with it. And, um, quite frankly, I'm probably going to take a month off and, and then kind of simmer down and just let it let it settle out and get back to things in Vero and touch base with the guys here. Uh, because I do think that in a lot of ways, the, the Vero employees stepped up, you oh, know, yeah. and had to had to learn new skills and, and learn new abilities to manage the load on their own and uh, to delegate certainly the things that they couldn't get to and make sure they took better notes and follow up with everybody. I think it's time to like really pay that back and like spend more one-on-one time because that's the one thing I've heard is that that one-on-one time is lacking. You yeah, know? you know, I, I definitely think it it's allowed everyone to grow. You know, whether it's you know the lowest guy in the totem pole all the way to the the top guy. You know, your right hand man and Jim. You know, everyone has grown, and then 
taking that a step further, I think it's allowed the people in Palm Bay to grow at a more rapid pace as well. You know, they got to work in Vero for about two months and experience organized chaos with the amount of people that come through this door every day. Um, so they really got this a real experience of working in a fully functioning CED profit center. And then, you know, for them to be able to go back into Palm Bay and, you know, it's so funny. You'll, you'll have one person walk through the door and next thing you know, there's four employees <laughs> jumping at the bit to get them like, no, I want to take his order. No, I want to take his order yeah. kind of a thing. So, you know, they definitely were able to learn at a faster rate by experiencing Vero and now moving up to Palm Bay. And, you know, there's days where, you know, I'm out of the office, Randy's out of the office, and there's just three of them there. And next thing you know, Alex is out on the delivery, so now there's just two. And the phones are ringing off the hooks, and there's people walking in. So, And they, they have that experience of how to deal with it because of what they did in Vero, you know. And it, um, it's pretty – it's actually a larger profit center than most startups would be, right? So I think it's because of the dynamic of me having to split my time um, and then having a trainee up there, uh, for, you know, in the beginning part-time, and then we quickly switched to full-time. Should have done it sooner, but we we got there eventually, yeah. and uh, you know, and then it, and then it's really like we brought in Randy to split his time between Vero and Palm Bay, um, but most profit centers are really like two or three people, and I, I honestly I'm not sure how the hell they do it. I I don't know how that would work up there, you know, because it's yeah a lot of coding. It, it's like a big market in a small town feel. You right. know, there's a lot going on up there. There's you Why? know, it's a very just big spacious market, you know, yeah. but there's also you know, Northrop Grumman's moving their headquarters in there from California to Melbourne. You know, Boeing and um, Harris and all those companies are really expanding there as well. The Space Center's taken off. So, you know, there's a lot of, like, industry just going on up there. So yeah. I just don't know if the three-person startup mentality would have been the, the right way to go in this market. I think making a big splash is is really paying off now. We're seeing that. Yeah, I mean, you got to be able to handle the load. Otherwise, you're going out there making all these promises, trying to get people on board, and then you can't deliver. And that's 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 way worse than not going out there at all. You yeah. know, if you go out there and you give them, they, they're like, "Hey, okay, well, I'll give you an opportunity. Here's an order," and you can't you can't come through, or you can't you don't have time to quote it, you can't deliver it, you can't cut the wire in time because you don't have enough people. Like that's just to me, that's like ten times worse than than not having that order to begin with because now you, that customer's not coming back. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> You only get one chance at this sometimes. Yeah. And then what kind of sets us apart is the fact that we have the people there in the market. We have the material in the market. Yeah. And, you know, we're able to deliver same day, sometimes within an hour. Mm -hmm. And whereas our competition, everything's coming out of a CDC. Everything's next day. Um, you know, you got to get your order in by 3 p.m. to get on the morning delivery or whatever. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we're very flexible and we're able to make decisions on the fly and you know if we have a delivery going out at 7 a.m then if i got to put in my truck i got to put in my truck you know that's yeah. just kind of how we do things yeah we do it all the time including the stock transfers yeah um <laughs> i'm a courier service now you know running back and forth well that's that's probably going to come to an end at some point yeah it's going to move up too. there and yeah um and eventually, well, I th I do like the idea of, of getting some sort of storage unit halfway in between and, and sharing a code and being able to just drop it off in Miko or whatever. Yeah, that could make sense. Because then Chris could drop it off on his way home or something. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions I, I had coming into this interview is, or this, this podcast is, uh, you know, kind of wondering why you signed up with CED, what was so attractive about it, and then why do you continue to show up every day and, and you know, do what you do for the company? Because... 
it does take a lot of work. It takes like your entire day, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So what really attracted me, like I said, was the whole run your own business type thing. You know, I, I always had this entrepreneurial type feel to me. I always knew that, you know, I kind of wanted to be the guy, the boss or whatever. And I, I went, I knew I liked to do sales. What definitely wasn't drawn to electrical wholesale. I can tell you that, but you yeah, know, I, I liked sales. And, you know, again, th- that first interview, I remember uh, Mike Shapiro brought us to a bar Louie in Orlando, right across the street from UCF. And there was about maybe 10 potential candidates. Yeah like more than half of them being my fraternity brothers. But, um, you know, I remember we just all sat at this table and we all kind of were just, Mike was just kind of throwing something out there and just seeing how we all interacted together. And I don't know what it was, but Mike and I definitely connected that day. And I even told him that um, in this past week in our talk that we had. And, you know, I kind of knew that just like the vibe that I had with CED was, it, it felt right. And then I remember um, moving on in the process, they brought me down and I got to meet with Travis and Pete for lunch before I accepted my offer and you know they were both great people very welcoming and I ended up working for Travis for over a year and it was a great experience so I would say that's what definitely drew me is the, the people and the the style of the company yeah is what drew me in I mean we do get to work with some really cool people some and, great people and when you think about it and like look at all the events we do and and just yeah. I don't know. It's pretty mind-blowing. I, I don't know any other company that's doing what we're doing in terms of going out there and finding people right out of college who don't have any experience in the business and saying, like, hey, that's okay. We're just looking for raw talent and potential. Yeah. Um, and you've been on the other side of that. You hired or helped hire or pretty much got all the way f- across the board on, on every employee that works in Palm Bay. So they kind of know you from that. The kinda, it's going to be a weird dynamic because they know you as a trainee, yeah. but you also are the reason that they have the job because they never would have made it to me had you not approved of them and, and interviewed them first round. Yeah, and that was definitely a cool experience. You know, I've never hired anyone before. Yeah. Um, I mean, shoot, my inbox was about 200 emails <laughs> deep at any given moment because of the amount of applicants we had for this job. And yeah. it's just funny. You know, I swear, like, it just all worked out perfectly. You know, the applicants that we just found all seemed like they just fit and they they bought in like right away there was no like except for maybe one there was no other we did have one person not make it to the finish line That's yeah true. but you know all, everything happens for a reason and it might have been the best thing ever you know we found randy because of it and seems like the whole crew just like really jives up there really well yeah everybody gets along and honestly the biggest factor for me is everybody's very mature definitely um they I don't know if it was just the way that we set them up or like the way that they all have this tangential experience in the industry where they're not, they don't quite have industry experience, but they're very similar to it. Like, I think that has a lot to do with it. It has a lot to do with it. And each one's role is very, like, it's like the next stepping stone of their career track in, in a very logical way. And then they like the culture of the company. They like the autonomy to make their own decisions day to day. Um they they see that it's growing, and I told them from day one, like, the first six months of this job are going to be completely different than the next, you know, 16 years of your career with CD yeah. or whatever it was at the time, I said. Um, but I think that's pretty much come true. Like, and I thought that we'd be setting this place up for six months, and it happened a lot faster than that, thankfully. Um, but it, it's, been an, it's been a wild ride, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to really kind of – get back to basics and bureau and obviously stay, stay a big part of it with you guys up in Palm Bay and, and any other trainees in the area that I can help out and, um, anybody that we can help out. Really. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what makes us strong is not, 
we try to stand like our own businesses, but at the end of the day, you know you have a support network. You know that mm-hmm. if you need help, you can call somebody that's probably been where you're at with a customer, with an employee, with a vendor, with um, some some situation or a lease situation or a, a legal situation. Like you just never really know what what you're going to come up against, and that's I don't know. But that's what keeps me coming back. Is like it's so exciting and dynamic. Yeah, I was going to say what like kind of. Wrapping back to that second part of your question and what keeps me coming back, you know, I would say it's the fact that, like, for instance, I was talking with Travis in our lunch on Friday, and he was like, hey, if you ever need anything, just call me. You know, I'm sure that there's, if if you can't figure it out, there's someone here at my location that will figure it out and be more than happy to do it for you, you know. So I I think it's just like an overall community and the the fact that, like, it's not this huge hierarchy of, of people, you know, it's the profit center manager that's setting the tone building that vision and having people go work towards it. Whereas every day, like you rarely experience that vision, you know, whereas in other distributors, I don't know how it is there, but it seems like people just punch in and punch out. Yeah. You know, we've walked into city electric in Melbourne, city electric in Palm Bay, Annexter, And I think Rexel maybe, or I went to Rexel. Okay. You yeah. did. Yeah. It, it didn't seem like it was a very vibrant group of people in there. You know, they were just yeah. kind of there. Whereas it's like when you walk in the CED, either in Vero or in Palm Bay, you know, people are jump, chomping at the bit to, to help you out. And they're generally like happy to be there and having a good time. And uh, we do fun stuff. And I think a lot of it is just like that autonomy to, to be able to run it the way you want to do it and to to have a vision and then do the math backwards to like, OK, here's where I want to get to. And now how do I do it backwards to, to get from where we're at until there? And that um, even when we were setting it up it was the same thing. It was like here's what I have this vision of like what I wanted the store to look like. And I know it wouldn't be perfectly that, but it, it, at least it would get me pretty much all the way there. Um, and for the most part, it looks the way I des- I had it in my mind, you know, from day one of, of, it was the only building we looked at. It was the first building we looked at and uh, the lease was perfect. And, you know, I think it worked out. I think if you had to add some more desks, you might run into some, some issues, but yeah. You know, maybe we can get someone up on that mezzanine or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We still got to get some architect or something out there to yeah. to get a weight rating on that bad boy because it's definitely getting heavy with material. Yeah, that'll be the next step for sure. Um, and the one last thing would probably be to get some bay doors that would fit a lift of pipe <laughs> to get through it because, boy, is it a hassle trying to get a lift of PVC yeah. through those doors because they're staggered at the end. So it's not exactly 10 feet wide. It's more about 11 or 12 Oh, right, because of the bells. Exactly. Yeah, you know, uh, unfortunately, those are all brand new bay doors. Like, they just put those in for us, so it'd be a real shame to maybe just make one of them. You don't need them all. That, yeah, one just, would work. Just that, that, that first one from the counter door would probably be the best one. Yeah. Or maybe the other one. Because it takes about an hour to <laughs> get a truckload of pipe of conduit into the building, whether it's, it's yeah. taking it off the truck, staging it, to then get picked up again turned around and then rolled back into the into the warehouse it, it's definitely it takes an effort but or we're just not being creative enough and and you know that's that's actually one of the reasons like i wanted to do this podcast and interview people from all around the country that have experience either on the vendor side of things or the distributor side of things is like like because of that exact question like maybe we're not being creative enough and or maybe people have good ideas elsewhere that not specific to nine foot bay doors, but like in general, like how to run a business, how yeah. to run an electrical supply house, what works to get customers in the door, you know, what to do, what not to do. I think at the same time that our business is so decentralized and everybody's so autonomous, 
you can lose a lot of those great ideas because um, they often stay in the profit center or they stay in the profit center manager's head and they never even get out of there. Um, and that's like the most tragic thing is like all the great ideas are in yeah. the graveyard, you know, like the idea of that all the best inventions in the world, like people die with them in their head yep. and never got them out there. And that's quite frankly terrifying to me. So I want to talk to as many people that are doing this job from around the country um, and, and get a, a, such a diverse background from it. And that's why the training program moves you halfway through, right? So yep. you can see a different side of things. Um, so based on what you saw in Mercedes, what you saw at your experience at headquarters and all that, and then you came to Vero and now you're running Palm Bay, what's some advice that you would have for the people of Vero Beach and myself specifically in terms of, um, you know, trainees, the business in general, sales? Um. I mean, Vero, Vero, like I said, it's organized chaos. And, yes. you know, I think everyone does a great job on a day-to-day basis of, like, surviving the day. Yeah. I don't know. Is that your – or that Travis? Survive the day is a Travis, Travis thing. Travis thing, yeah. yeah. I knew it was yeah. Yeah, familiar. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, surviving the day. I think, you know, one thing I told you is um, in order to grow the business, I thought, like, you would have to take on a new territory, you know, and I think – that's kind of being supplemented by you and Randy now mm-hmm. being down here. Yep. Um, you know, there's definitely some big accounts down here that don't do as much business with Vero that maybe should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely think that that'd be the next step to really get this place to go from, you know, where it is now to doubling in size, which definitely has the potential to do so. And we would struggle in this building. But yeah. I think we have a customer base that could do that. The, I think everybody does if they, Instead of trying to go out and find 10 new customers that they dug 10 times deeper with the customers that they have and spent 10 times as much time with them. Um, And you never know where that's going to take you. I mean, some of our customers, we we won back after losing them over a $200 issue, you know, before I even got here. And and it makes you wonder, like, who else is out there that I could solve a huge problem that's that's like a $200 problem and, and, and resolve some wound that they feel whether it was intentional or not, you know, and you just never know with that. When somebody walks in and gets a vibe and you're just like, oh, I'm never going back there again and my people aren't going back there because they take too long or they can't pull the order right or the pricing's too high or, you know, I like this guy down in West Palm or whatever it is, you know. And, and so you got to get in front of them and find that conversation piece and, and really get it out of them. Like, why aren't we doing more business? Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to blatantly come out and ask that question. It's like, man, I'm here. You're here. You know, I have supplies. You need supplies. Uh, what's the deal? You know, and um, I do really like that idea of managers carving out their own territory. I think that's something that we don't take enough advantage of um, because of it's it's surviving the day. But it's also like addressing the immediate needs versus looking at the future needs, which is what that last episode was about. Um, yeah, it's called manage the present, create the future. Uh, it was from February 6th of 2018. Uh, and it was all about just, you know, managing the present, like don't lose traction, don't lose ground today, stay above water, keep the people happy, keep the promises. But at the same time, you have to carve out a little piece of time every single day to look ahead and to, to really think about, like, is this the most efficient use of my time to be the, the one of the highest paid counter people in any river county? Or should I, should I be out there trying to drum up more business? And give other people a chance to learn how to take care of people on the phones and at the counter. One thing I think is pretty awesome on your part is that, you know, your time was was split between Palm Bay and Vero. And who knows if it's 50-50, 60-40, either way, whatever. 
you know, you still managed to be able to get Palm Bay up and running and then grow Vero in this 2018 year, you know. So now that you're able to take a step back from Palm Bay and refocus here completely, you know, I definitely think you have an opportunity now to to really dive in. And like you said, you'll have more time to to plan for the future instead of just surviving the day where, you know, a lot of times you were doing quotes up in Palm Bay for customers in Vero, you know, or vice versa down here helping someone up there, you know. So now you can really hone in and focus on your store here in, in, in Vero. There were a lot of days where I was asking myself, why did I drive an hour <laughs> to do what I could do in Vero Beach all day? Like, all day, because it was so slow in Palm Bay, and it was like there were these pressing needs that had to happen in Vero today, and I knew those guys were all getting slammed, and so it was up to me on my VPN network to jump in and do it, but I was like, why am I doing this from an hour away? Yeah. Like, I just spent two hours of my life getting here and back. Just to, I could have been sitting at home in my pajamas doing the exact same thing. Well, I wanted, I definitely think your presence up there changes the mindset of the people, especially when, like, it was slow, you know, and there'd be days when you'd walk in and, like, you know, people just, you're the manager, you know, whether you're there every day or not, people look to you, and, you know, it definitely, I know it changed people's outlook, you know, it was definitely the days that you were there and it might not have been busy at all, you know, people were still like, okay, I got my boss here at least, and he's here, and he's putting the time in and the work, whether you're actually doing Palm Bay work or not. You know, they don't know that. but Look busy, though. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I think that just kind of sets the tone again. Yeah. You know, you're there hustling and, you know. Well, I think that's an important lesson that everybody listening to this could, could know is, like, they are looking to you. And that's something Butch talked about, uh, our former regional manager, and, and something that Mike talks about all the time is, like, whether you think they are or not, whether you think they care or they notice or they're so busy they don't notice or your office is very open and everyone can see it or it's not, like people are sensing your energy, they're sensing your tone. And I've made the mistake even as as recently as last week of coming in and like not being in the best state of mind or in a I'm going to get a bunch of shit done today kind of state of mind. And that means a lot of times like I'm giving off this vibe like unless the building's burning down, don't interrupt me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I do that intentionally to avoid kind of the chit-chat small talk. But sometimes that chit-chat and small talk is just as important as getting things done because it gives that person a sense of, like, feedback and a sense of, you know, my boss does care about me and this is a good workplace and it's fun to be yeah. here and I want to go there. And um, But when I walk through that door, I'm ready to go to work. And sometimes, yeah. you know, I, I get this mentality of, like, I just – like nothing's going to get in my way. I'm going to do this stuff today. And at the detriment of the morale of the entire store, and it's, just, it's important to take a step back and to kind of realize that um, they are looking at you, and sometimes you have to sit there with a smile on your face, even though you, my focus face is not a smile. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. You know, It's people might not, like, talk openly talk about, like, wow, Mike was definitely hustling and crushing things at his computer today. Um, but they'll definitely take notice of the times where you might be a little bit sluggish or, you know, not have the best attitude, you know, yeah. you know, it's very, they'll definitely notice the days when you're off, but they might not praise you for the days that you're on. You know, it might just be another day that Mike is here performing at the top level, but the day you decide to slip up is the day they'll notice it. Yeah. And, kind of and they remember that. Exactly. You know, and that's, uh. I treat this thing like it's my sport, you know, and I, I've spent my entire, I've built my entire life around creating this 
this morning ritual and this like nighttime ritual and everything to like get ready to show up and perform at a high level the moment I walk in the door because I don't want to come to work and have to warm up to to be ready you know I want to show up ready like I want to show up caffeinated and and (laughs) hydrated and alert and already having worked out and you know meditated and, and taking a cold shower like just in the most optimal state ever walking in the door and just just being primed. I think that's the best way to describe it. It's like yeah. primed to, to get to work and focus. Um, and yeah, it takes a lot of effort. But the days where I maybe cut short the meditation or I don't miss the workout. I haven't done that in a long time. Two years. But, oh, except when I was sick one time. <laughs> one day. One day in two years. Uh, and I made up for it the following Saturday. But um, I definitely feel less optimized or when you're not, you don't go to sleep right away when I'm supposed to, or, or I had a night like last night where I just slept, I just missed the sleep window yeah. and it, it, I just feel it all day long. And it's like, I have to do things like jump up and down and like splash <laughs> cold water on my face and like all these like yeah. hacks to get my body back into the state where I can feel like I can perform and, and have a positive output. Um, because people are paying attention to that and even customers notice it and they feed off of it. And, um, the one thing nobody likes when they're in a bad mood is like, hey, what's wrong? You know, I, I hate that more than anything. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, what kind of material do you want so I can get back to doing what I was doing before you walked in? <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to, to switching gears a little bit and, and getting back to, you know, we used to do this thing in Vero I thought was really effective called uh, Workshop Wednesdays. I don't know if you were ever part of that. Yeah, no. Um, so we got the hourglass over there, and it was an hour on Wednesday afternoons, of course. Um on a rotating schedule. So if we had eight employees, I'd see every employee every eight weeks. You know um, what? I did experience that. I just didn't know it's called Workshop Wednesdays. So. Yeah. I, well, I had a form that said Workshop Wednesday at the top, and we'd talk about whatever. It was free form. And uh, part of that is where the podcast came from, is I was talking to, I think, Taylor, and I was like, man, this would be cool to like share with other people and enter it. And how easy would that be? And it turned out it was not that easy. You had to <laughs> start a website and you know all this stuff. But... Um, all this equipment all that all that fun stuff yeah but it was it it came from those conversations of like hey if i'm having this conversation with somebody and we're getting something out of it why wouldn't somebody in kansas at ced or washington state you know or or canada or wherever like 600 plus locations around the country like maybe they could get something out of it as well or look at a perspective that they'd see every single day and not realize that there is a different way to look at it and and that by looking at something differently, like the thing you look at changes by its, by definition. So, um, I'm going to get back to that. Definitely think that'd be effective. Yeah. Know. Cause I ask people at profit sharing, like what's, what's something I could be doing better. That's something I always ask everybody is like, what's something that I just asked you that, like what's something I could be doing better. I yeah. want the feedback. Um, even if it's sugarcoated and, and not a real answer, like it's still helpful and they still feel like they're being heard and all that. And, and that was, it was communication. I was like, man, I feel like I communicate all the yeah. time. Like I spend an hour and a half writing the Monday minutes sometimes, <laughs> like just communicating what's going on in my head, and they still just crave more of it. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about feedback? Like, what, what's your tolerance for it? What's your need for it? Your drive for it? Um, you know, I definitely think that uh, you. I think you do a great job being open. For me, it's like the right amount of information. You know, I definitely find myself going back to the Monday minutes throughout the week and figuring out, like, okay, Mike's going to be here. He's doing this or so-and-so's out or whatever it is. You know, I think the Monday minutes is a great thing, and I'm going to continue that 
in Palm Bay for sure. So you might need to define that for people that don't know about the Monday Minutes. Okay, so the Monday Minutes is basically a rundown of the entire week of the schedule of who's going to be out, what special events are going on, whether it's sales calls like kind of out of the territory, for say, for example, maybe running down a total supply down in Stewart, I guess. Um, Port St. Lucie. Port St. Lucie. Um, you know, we look at the price of copper every week, um, monitor that closely, then there'd be a thought of the week, and, you know, that's usually a deep dive into one little quote that turns into a couple paragraphs of some some good solid information if you're willing to sit down and and actually read it and not just read it but like understand it and think about it there is some great thought-provoking things in there well and sometimes it's longer than others (laughs) and sometimes it's a little more harsh and you know what i find is it's funny to ask people about it like i wish i could ask everybody how they feel it because it hits people different ways depending on what i'm talking about and like at some some level, everyone thinks that I'm talking about them specifically. Definitely. They're like, "Damn, what did I do that Mike's writing this about me?" And it's like, no, this is just a general idea I had about like, hey, we could all, I I don't know, focus on like getting more done throughout the day or whatever. And people are like, is he calling me a slacker? <laughs> like, I'm not yeah. trying to call anybody. Well, up. at the same time, I think it's that's good because it, people subconsciously think like, you know what, maybe Mike did see me take something off the shelf and not cut the box top off. You know, something as simple as that. <laughs> whatever that thought, I did see that. I did whatever see the that. thought of the week is, you know, yeah. um, in ter- maybe like, you know, your inventory's coming up for you guys in April. So, you yeah. know, it's, you said walk by the shelf. If you see something that doesn't belong, you know, either put it back where it belongs or get it taken care of in terms of getting it sent back to the vendor. Yeah. Whatever it is, you know, that someone might think about it during the week when, on a normal week, they wouldn't, you know. I mean, I definitely needed it with Palm Bay. I needed it. It was a, it was probably my most effective tool because I was going to be spending my time three days in one place, two days in another place, on top of, like, the career fairs and the meetings and the sales calls and the vendor stuff coming on. Like, it, it helped me kind of lay it all out. And we talked about in the past, like, the magic calendar thing. So mm-hmm. um, having things on a calendar and then speaking them outwardly to other people, like, hey, I'm going to be doing X, Y, Z at this time makes me accountable and it makes the person that i'm talking about if they're included on the monday minutes um to be like oh i need to be there at this time because this thing is happening and then all of a sudden we're both there at that time and this thing does happen and that's that's how you get things done right you you prioritize and execute you make a list of things and like i came in this morning and i already had six things on my list that i pushed from friday and i added six more that i thought of over the weekend and just all day was just like checking things off as i went through Getting these little dopamine hits every yep. time, you know. It's nothing better than just crossing something off your list. Uh, yeah. To do. <laughs> well, I have a rule. If it, if it does, if I have it on my list and I put it on tomorrow's list, and at the end of tomorrow it's still there, I just don't do it. It's just not important enough. Okay. So, because if it were important, I would have done it. You <laughs> yeah, know. That's true. And maybe it comes back on a couple of days later, like, oh shit, Mike, you really probably should have done that <laughs> because it was important to somebody. But my philosophy is like, if it's not important enough for me to take the five minutes, because most of these things that we do are like little little slices of like two minutes here a phone call here like you get a price on this or get back to a customer about this or process this ean or something like that like you just but if you don't write it down and you're not accountable for it then it just never really happens and and that's why having a system a notebook um whatever the procedure is that you come up with um and you have to come up with your own yeah no one can tell you to do something that's gonna work unless it's you come up with yourself exactly um So you're at the end of your training program. You're looking back. It's been almost – I can't believe it's been almost three years. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Um, what advice would you give to somebody who is just coming into CED? We're going to break it down. So just okay. coming into CED, like it's their first week, you're at like orientation, orientation, and then um, we're going to come back and do like you're switching stores and you're moving into okay. outside sales. So for a first, a fresh trainee coming in, I would say, you know, do everything that is asked of you, whether it's, you know, you, you come in, you're fresh out of college with a college degree, you think you're this hotshot kid, you know, you're already ready to run your PC the first week you get there. <laughs> Um, I would say, you know, really prove yourself in the warehouse and that'll go a long way with the people that are there. If they see that this guy, like you said, just fresh out of college is willing to go back there, bust his ass, sweat, yeah. bleed, be covered in dirt, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it takes, it, what, literally whatever <laughs> it takes, then, you know, that will definitely go a long way with the people there. Um, you know, where I started in a pretty odd situation, it seems like every thing I get myself into is odd compared to the rest of the people but Mercedes was in this phase where you know they were still transitioning from Mercedes electric to CED Mercedes you know so they had a bunch of dead inventory and stuff and a lot of my warehouse time was built was just building and breaking down shelves you know moving material around getting material out and you know it it, it definitely was a big project, but you know, I still go back to the to Mercedes, and some of the things are that I did are still there. Yeah. You know, so it definitely left my imprint there on the warehouse, and I would say definitely just working as hard as you can, and then if you if you get asked to go to another inventory, volunteer to go to other inventories, and just really set the tone that you're willing to work and not be afraid to get dirty. I would say that's the biggest thing. And again, people are watching you. You know, people are doing this as their full-time job their career they've been doing it for years before you got there or maybe they maybe they're brand new as well but they're looking to you to set the tone of like what's expected at the highest level so i know how to act at my level yeah and um there's also a great degree of humility that you have to have coming into it like knowing that you don't know everything and knowing that these people that are doing these jobs full-time are are the ones that are going to teach you how to be successful yeah. in those jobs and having to and being humble enough to be like hey I don't know how to do this. Can you help me out? Can you show me how you would handle the situation? Or can you let me know, like, the, is, am I doing this the right way? Is there a more efficient way I could be doing this? Um, because that'll get them on your side a little bit, yeah. and then they'll take care of you for, like, the whole rest of your career exactly. almost, you know? So I found that, like, you know, people are more than willing to show you how to do certain things because it makes them feel good. Yeah, they're proud of it. And you know, and they're definitely more willing in, to do that for someone that's willing to work hard for them as well. You know, they right. saw that I was putting in a lot of effort into their warehouse. You know, it wasn't going to be my store. It wasn't going to be there forever. Yeah. And they saw that I was willing to put in the work in the warehouse. And then when I transitioned to the counter and inside sales and whatever, the, people were more willing to, to show me and help me throughout the, the process. Well, I think... I don't know, Mike Spear and I talked about it. Like, you just have this personality that is very just, like, you're just open to do whatever. You're not afraid of getting your hands dirty, jumping in on whatever. Yeah. Um, you're always down to have a good time, like, to just laugh. And, and But you know when it's time to buckle up and get serious and go to work. But sometimes the most important thing to do is to have a good time and to laugh and, and to share a joke with somebody or, you know, take that extra second to to see to find out something about what's going on in their life. Um and I think that's the attitude that, that we're looking for is like you being able to, to kind of rough and tumble with people and have a good time and joke around and not only, you know, take insults because there's a lot of them thrown oh, around, yeah. but uh, also be able to give them back in an appropriate way. 
uh, skirting that line of like uh, corporate, you know, policy and uh, and just standing up for yourself a little bit, but understanding you are at the bottom of that totem pole. Yeah, I mean, for anyone that's coming out of college that was in a fraternity, it's very much like pledging a fraternity. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't really know. It's actually like a perfect parallel. You yeah. know, you're told to do certain tasks and based on how you do them and with the attitude that you do them is kind of how you are you make a name for yourself yeah i mean i i definitely i never had that experience i was never in the military but i listened to uh the jocko podcast and he talks about how when he was in boot camp like he would just take whatever they told him to do to like the most extreme like if they told him to go down and get sandy that means like go to the beach and do burpees in the sand or whatever he would come back like completely covered in sand like you know he'd shove it up his nose and in his ears and he'd come back with sand in his mouth and be like like sand spitting out of his mouth like what's next kind of thing and like and people just knew like he was gonna do just whatever you told him to do and and be have a great attitude about it not be like well what do you want me to do that for like why should i do that like and who are you to tell me how to do that and and that's that's kind of the because you're gonna look for people that have the same mentality when you hire them um to do whether it's the warehouse or inside sales or even outside sales it's like are they going to do what needs to be done yeah. you know and that's we don't always know what that is sometimes it is like cutting a bunch of wire on thanksgiving i've been there yeah you know a customer needs it monday morning and they call you friday at thanksgiving like hey i need that monday morning i know you guys are closed but can you make it happen and you gotta say like yeah maybe i can maybe i can't like maybe you're trying to win this customer maybe you already got them you're trying to keep them like you got to do whatever it takes to get in there and uh, and and add that value to that customer. And I think you just never quite know what it's going to be. But being flexible and being dynamic and being resourceful is probably the most uh, the most important aspect of that for me. Certainly. What would you say? This kind of sounds like an interview question, but what would you say has been your biggest failure at CED? Like, ooh, biggest you, failure. Yeah, something you just totally screwed up. It's, Man, that's that's a hard one right there. I, I definitely have had some screw-ups, you know, whether it's an order or something like that. I mean, in terms of, like, a catastrophic screw-up that, like, really, like, made me focus, I don't know if I have one of those. I mean, I would. there's a bunch of, like, learning moments that you just do something and you're like, all right, I definitely won't do it that way again. I remember with the uh, – I don't know if you remember, I had a bunch of reels of, like – four rod or even like 250 mcm for brandon blaze and <laughs> i decided to coil up one because we didn't have enough reels and he's like no this is just not going to work and instead of putting it on the wire rack and letting it spin off i decided to just leave a heap of and i just made this huge bird's nest i don't that's that, a great example that's a that took me forever to, to unwind all that stuff but i'm trying to think another big screw up i mean i've definitely I've definitely banged them, some things around with the forklift, you know. Yeah. I'd say be careful on that thing. Um, but I don't know. Do you know of anything that I really – I'm, I'm I forgot about that Brandon Blaze one, but that's that's hilarious. Um, yeah. You know, and you're just getting started. You're going to have a lot more – I mean, I definitely, like, forgot to do orders and stuff like that. But, I mean, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, was it, like, a huge $50,000 order? No. But, like – and the trick is that you keep moving forward regardless of the outcome. You know? Yeah. And, you, and your intention wasn't to screw anybody over or to, to you know, hold up an order or to re- destroy a, a reel of wire and, yeah. and and affect the profitability of the location. You you had the right intention. You just didn't have the enough maybe know-how or experience um, 
maybe in that case patience huh? yeah <laughs> you know. know sometimes the best way to learn unfortunately is a school of hard knocks oh my god and you know i've definitely had my fair share of those and then like i said it's a lot of minor mishaps that have led me into learning how to do things certain ways you know but so many people get hung up and they won't even like get started or they won't they won't move quickly enough because they're so afraid of making those mistakes and they think that they are catastrophic they think everybody's looking at them all the time and um, I have friends like this that they will not venture out and try new things or new businesses or new side hustles or whatever it is we talk about it and mm-hmm. I, I follow up with them a couple weeks later and I'm like hey what's up with that did you did you take the first step did you do this did you did you reach out to a loan officer did you file for an LLC did you talk to an accountant it's like no no because I'm afraid like what if this happens or, or what if I haven't figured out everything? And it's like, man, you're never going to know everything. Exactly. Like you just have to take that first step. Um, one podcast I listen to, they talk about, like I never sold a car before, but I knew that in order to sell the car, I had to have the car clean. So what did I do? I took the car to the car wash and I washed the car. And so the, for the whole rest of the podcast, they talk about like, what's your washing the car? Like what's that first step that you don't know what the next step is. And, but you can't get to that next step until the car is clean so that you can take pictures yeah. of the car and then you can post those pictures online and then you can get the title arranged and you know, that you figure everything else out as you go. But man, so many people, I think it's like, it's even worse with social media is, is they're not even trying to make that first step and to, to fail in the first place. And at the end of the day, I forgot about that. Like that, I don't even know what the outcome of that was. I'm sure we made them happy. Um, we made the customer happy. We found another reel. I remember you came around back and you're like, what are you doing? And I just kind of was like, and you're like, do you need help? And I was like, I don't think it's worth both of our times for you to oh, help me yeah. figure this. Like, let me just figure it out on my own. And, yeah. you know, I won't do this again. I can assure you that. And, you know, it's finally I had the wire all the way out through the back of the warehouse, through the bay doors into the parking lot and just slowly reeled it back up and put it on a reel. And, you know, that's, you know, you just learn kind of. And like you were saying, you know, I was never scared to just jump in and do something. And I always yeah. asked you and you empowered me and you told me like you, you told me you'd rather me fail now than later kind of a thing. Fail on my budget, it, not yours. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I yeah. was very lucky to have that type of mentorship where I felt empowered that like, OK, if I mess this up, I'm going to go in 100 percent. And if I mess it up, I have someone to fall back on and then they can show me the right way. But, you know, I've learned a lot by just. You know, I've asked you questions like yes or no or yes or no questions and you just like respond with like, like just do it or you know what I mean? Like you give me this answer and I'm like, all right, he's obviously just telling me to go do it myself. And if I <laughs> fail, then I'll just figure it out his way. But, you know, and then I've, it, it that turned into me just doing things on my own and then knowing in the back of my head that, hey, if I do actually mess it up or if I do come to a to a certain thing that I can't figure out on my own, I can go to Mike. But instead of going to Mike at first, try to figure it out on my own. Right. It's like asking me questions that you could Google. Like, you know, you don't, you're pretty good about that. But in general, I learned like, quick that, yeah. that doesn't, you don't like that. And, you know, I, I definitely find myself, you know, trying to take the easy way out sometimes it's, and just asking when I could go and struggle through Google for 15 minutes and whatever. But, or sometimes 30 seconds. Like, but, hey, yeah. what's the phone number for this place? Man, did you type that name into Google? You know, it's not some guy's personal cell phone. It's like, yeah. or an address. Like, that's not my job to tell you how to get from point A to point B. Yep. It's to teach you how to learn to get from point A to point B, you know, and that's, and I recognize that very quickly. It's like, it's not about the one time somebody asked me for something where I have to kind of shut them down. It's like, if I don't do that right away, they're going to ask me for everything. Yep. And if I have if I have to be curt with them one time, 
for them to get the message that like you got to figure it out yourself and then if they don't realize that i just gave them this huge gift of like you can figure it out yourself and now you have this back door of like well you didn't tell me how to do it exactly um and and i'll be like you're right that is my fault i didn't tell you how to do that but more often than not it's such such a small simple thing where um I give you the, the enough rope to kind of hang yourself with it. And that's always what I wanted. And quite frankly, it comes down to like just not having enough time to, to, to walk eight employees through their day. Every exactly. Day. Like it all comes back to how Vero is on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you guys do like a hundred tickets a day. Yeah. Like that's just an insane amount of people coming in and out of this. Like there's not enough time for people to stop what they're doing and to baby you along and what you're trying to learn how to do or whatever. I think that's why we're at such a training store. You know, yeah, it's, uh, I'd agree. And it's it, that's probably one of the coolest things, and I think you you'll get there pretty quickly as well. Is like when you go from being a trainee to having your first trainee, you kind of realize like the whole the whole picture just got flipped on you. You know, yeah. like 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 what does it take to to get to that position? And then as soon as that trainee's gone, two more people will come in, and they're you know different stages. And we as soon as you guys rotate out, we've got two more people coming to Vero. Yeah. Um, and one I one I know pretty well, and and you know him as well, and one I don't I've never met, and he's brand new to the program, and that's kind of why I want to get your opinion on, on um, what a first year person should do. So I can play back that eight minutes or whatever specifically of that podcast, yeah. and be like, hey, listen to this, and and do likewise. Like look at what Nick's done and and where he's at, um, and for sure we're gonna send him up there and all that. And I think that you're gonna be a part of, of the second person or the second year person's training as well, is because. Like, I can only offer them so much in Vero. If I take them out on sales calls and we go out on these long-term relationships that I have, um, and I think you got frustrated with that, too, is, like, it makes it look so easy. Like, yeah. you show up and you just you go to lunch or coffee and you hang out and it's all fun and games. We don't even talk about business the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get back and you got three emails with orders in it or, you know, their guys are showing up every day anyways. And it's, like, like how does that actually help you understand like that's the end game. Yeah, you're basically. in a different stage of the sales cycle yeah. than when I found out like, going up to Palm Bay, you know, where we're brand new. Whereas, yes, you know, when I was down here in, in Vero, I was going on a lot of lunches, and I was like, okay, this seems pretty easy. Just kind of be friends with the guy, and but you can't become friends with the guy until you do all the other work that it takes right. to get to that point. They won't like you exactly. <laughs> like they don't. It's just another person walking through the door that's interrupting what they're currently doing, yeah. and you need to be able to keep their attention for 10, 15 minutes. And if you do well enough at that, then usually they take you to a new spot in the conversation. We're like, okay, this guy can actually help me take something off my desk yeah. instead of just like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, what can I do for you today type of thing. You know, you really start driving some conversations. See, one question, that question right there, um, what can I do for you today? And it's very similar to what um, what Brandon Turner talks about in his podcast, uh, Bigger Pockets podcast. Is uh, like he, whenever somebody comes up to him and asks, like, "Hey, I want to be your mentee. Can you mentor me or whatever? Like, what can I do? What do you need done? Like, you just gave him a job. Like, you gave him something else to do on yeah. top of the ten things he had to do. Is like, well, now I have to figure out something for Nick to do for me as well. Like, and granted, that could be a really easy thing, but in most people's minds, it's like. I'm already so busy. I can't come up with one more thing that you could do or whatever. Um, especially in the mentor mentee thing, like you're asking them for like a long-term commitment and, yeah. and, and like this constant, like, Hey, give me more work. Give me more work. Instead of being like, well, Hey, here's some things that I've already put together for you. Um, you know, some, some basic quotes we've kind of figured out like what most people are looking for, whether they're resi commercial industrial. Yeah. And so you could, you could just show up with that and be like, 
hey, I know that most people have like a, a price file or whatever. Here's what we came up with, and boom, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, but I think you like you prefer the starting from the bottom part D- of it. Yeah, because it it allows me to kind of establish that like to start the cycle. You know, it's it's not easy to hop on a moving bike. You know, it's much easier yeah. to get on the bike and then start pedaling, right? And then get some momentum. Whereas like you know, down here in Vero, you know, we had the established relationship with the customer and I thought that that was going to make for a much easier transition for me, but that relationship was already built and people, they already had their ways of getting their material, you know, going through to gym or just calling up CED and knowing that any of the eight texting people me. texting Mike <laughs> or just knowing that they could call yeah, and get a person on the phone that could help them out with a daily order where they didn't need to go through me, yeah, you know, so that was... You know, it took some. I definitely found myself with certain customers definitely related better with me, and they wanted to go through me because they knew I could facilitate these orders. Yeah. But then going up to Palm Bay, you know, it definitely, definitely added a whole new mantra to the sales call. You know, you yeah. got to really get geared up and get ready to walk into a door and most likely get it shut on you in the beginning. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I think that really, my mindset really turned when like. You know, I'd be sitting up there in Palm Bay at the desk and just the phones aren't ringing. People aren't walking in. I'm like, well, I can't just sit here. Right. You know, people aren't going to come in here looking for me. I need to go look for them. Right. And that just really kind of I flipped the switch in my head and, you know, really started going hard at some of these guys. So I've got another second year trainee coming in starting probably in the next, I'd say, 46 weeks. I don't know. Mike, if you're listening, maybe you can tell me. Uh, but whenever they start, they'll start, and that's fine. Um, but what advice would you have for them, looping back to the second part of that initial question? So the advice I would have is, um, you know, when you first get to the PC, you're not going to be calling on customers immediately. You're going to have about a month or two to acclimate yourself with what you stock here and kind of the customer base. And I would definitely, you know, again, kind of like what I said in that first phase, you know, really crush it in the warehouse, you know, maybe, you know, you might have already done it, but do it again. Show the guys that you know the process of checking material in, putting it back on the shelf, um, helping out at the counter, answering the phones first, don't letting it ring, don't let it ring, you know, really just bust ass in the beginning, but then have the ability to set the tone like, hey, once I do start calling on customers, the expectation is that I call on customers and that I'm not inside, you know, just helping facilitate the flow of people coming in and out. Know that you have to do your job. John Reinig and Mike Shapiro are going to want to see your like call schedule of you out of the profit center. Yeah. So I think the best thing that I could say is like not only coming in and busting ass in the warehouse and setting that tone that you you are willing to work when you need to when the time calls for that, and then also communication. You know, I don't think I did a good job. One thing I would have done different is communicated with the rest of the staff you know i think i did a good job with telling you what i was going to do right but maybe not keeping everyone else in the loop so you know i would come in at you know 9 30 10 30 whatever it was in the morning and everyone would be like oh what was nick sleeping at home or was he just you know driving around vero sightseeing or whatever you know they didn't you know they didn't really know until like until like they actually like really asked me for and I had to tell them, you know, instead of just sending out an email and being like, hey, kind of like a Monday minutes, like, hey, yeah. I'm going to be seeing this customer, this customer, this customer, you know, so I definitely think communication is key, not only with Mike, but the rest of the staff, you know, because then, then they'll be able to get on board with you and what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that that's 
part of the learning process for me as well is uh, not communicating that. I think it's one thing. Like, I, I don't, there's got to be some sort of name for this feeling that I always have is like, I know this information. Well, why doesn't everybody else know it? Yeah. I don't know if it's just vanity. Is that the answer? But like, you just you have the information. It's so inherent to you. You understand it. Two plus two equals four. Yeah. Why doesn't everybody else know that? You know what I mean? And and you have to just lay it all out there. And at the end of the day, people want that information. Like they want to be told yeah. what's going on. Sometimes they want to be told what to do versus just, um, you know, Jocko was just talking about this on his podcast this morning. Um, like they want to be told and they're going to be like, thank you for telling me what, exactly what you expect of me, exactly yeah. what's going on. Um, even though you might think like, that's not how I want to be communicated with. Like other people are going to really react to that and be like, Tell me I'm, what I'm doing so I know if I'm supposed to be going left every day at 8 o'clock in the morning, we go left at 8 o'clock in the morning. And so then I know I can judge myself that, hey, I'm not doing left at 8 o'clock. What's going on? And then when you come back and say, hey, what happened? You didn't turn left at 8 o'clock, just as an example. Like, yeah. Um, then the feedback's already built into the system, and you can you can really have, like, meaningful conversations with them and guide them along the way versus this, like – this thing that I always do and probably will continue to do of like <laughs> just expect that everybody knows exactly what I'm thinking and where I'm going to be and everything, no matter how much I lay it out in the Monday minutes, it's not a hundred percent like day by day, minute by minute. And so I think I'm going to make sure that we double down and do a better job of communicating that moving forward of like, here's the expectation for one to two months, you know, six to eight weeks, they're going to be here learning our product, learning our ways, learning the system, learning the will calls and all that stuff to the delivery routes and, who the people are and get to know them. But then after that, boom, they're going to be gone. Yeah. You know, we're, we're kind of at that point with Randy too. It's like, he really impressed me in the warehouse. He was not afraid to get sweaty and dirty and, and jumped right in, was perfect with that. Um, really showed his stuff. So did all the guys at Palm Bay, you know, Chris, Carlos, Alex, oh, all yeah. those guys and continue to do so. Um, but then like the expectation is that, okay, you've done that. You kind of proved that you're willing to do that and you could do that at any moment. Now go out and do what I paid you to do, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, because I don't need somebody that at, at that caliber. I didn't go and interview and test and, and grind to find this person and, and really put it, sell the company for them to work at the warehouse uh, or at the counter or yep. doing inside sales. Like, they need to be out talking to customers. And, um, and so in a lot of ways, I kind of missed a window on in Vero as far as your potential, what you could have had before we opened Palm Bay. It would have been a long training program for you if you had to stay here the whole time. Yeah, that I mean, I was definitely getting a little itchy there at the end, but like before Palm Bay became like a vision, or at least at least before I knew it was a vision. You know, I was coming to the end where I really thought that at that time period that I was ready to become a PC manager, <laughs> and boy, you know, I might have been able to survive operationally and you know day to day, but in terms like I really did not know how to develop a sales territory until I yeah. figured it out in Palm Bay. And, you know, I think one thing, another piece of advice is for a trainee that's coming in here to do outside sales is Palm or Vero is already established. You don't need to sell Vero to these customers. I mm-hmm. think you need to sell yourself. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's really helped me make that next step in Palm Bay is I sell myself and really tell them what I can do for them and not what Vero or what Palm Bay can do and stuff like that. It's, what can I do for you and that I'm going to follow up with everything that I tell you that I can do for you and come through with that. So I think that's a big thing too. And you're right. And, uh, because we are the dominant player, people, everybody knows who we are and stuff. So when we show up, we should be getting a little bit more of that attention. Like, Oh, see, he's calling on yeah. us, you know, especially these smaller guys or 
I mean, I know our customers really appreciate it when we go out and have like lunch. We bring lunch to a job site, or and most of our customers, we have to do that, or we can't yeah. can't quite narrow them down. You know, um, yeah. I mean, that's at the end of the day, they're gonna have to carve their own path, just like you did. You know, there's not gonna be another store opening, that, to my knowledge. Yeah. Of course, then again, when you started, there wasn't Palm Bay opening. Um, yes, you never know, but you just gotta keep your head down and keep working. You know, like there's definitely gonna be days where you're frustrated, where you go out in the out to make some calls and no one answers you no one has time for you it's raining all day it's raining you know whatever <laughs> it is you know you just got to keep that your attitude up and just keep going you yeah. know just keep on keeping on like they say right well there's always tomorrow and yeah. uh but you got to live like in this moment and in, in today's try to squeeze the life out of today and that's something that i talk about a lot in the minutes and and it's a recurring theme especially around inventory time it's like there is this countdown to this very particular date and time where Things have to be in line and have to happen ahead of that schedule. Otherwise, yep. we're going to show up on this day when we should be performing and we're going to be practicing. And nobody wants to be out there practicing when you should be performing. Yeah. Like, it's not fun. The day goes terrible. Everybody that visits knows it, that it's it's just not going very well. Like, you really want it to be a performance and, and well-organized and, and fun um, versus a bunch of question marks at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, um, that's pretty much all I got. Anything you want to add? Well, I guess on air, I'll just say thank you, Mike, for everything you've done for me. My pleasure. And my career and personally outside of work and everything. It's been a great experience here in Vero. It's been a great experience with CD as a whole. You know, I love this company. I love the potential that you have with the company and just excited for the future. Yeah. What's next for Nick Scala? It's going to go and grow Palm Bay into a monster. Yeah? Yeah. Take over that Palm Bay, Melbourne market. All right. Well, we'll do this again in about six months. Check in with you guys. See how you're doing up there. We'll look forward to that. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's the Wire Podcast.